Welcome to True Talks, an honest and open look into the challenges we all face every day dealing with God, family, and others. Now, here's Pastor Tim Buttry, founder and CEO of True Relationships. So I'm privileged this morning to have been asked by Pastor Gill to present this morning's message, and I suppose it's a topic that is in keeping with what uh, I end up dealing with a lot, and that is that uh, when, when life seems unfair, is God still good? When life throws curveballs, when pain enters our world, when disruption comes into our lives, uh, it presents questions for all of us. Those tests that come our way during those times are uh, questions and tests that are meant to prove something. Uh, Unfortunately, I think sometimes it proves the wrong thing, and uh, I want to help you this morning by allowing whatever test, whatever trial, whatever temptation, whatever it is that might be happening in your life, that you can use that for your benefit to prove what's in your own heart. And I hope that what you find and what is proven is good, but more importantly, to prove who God really is. Because God is the test giver. He is our teacher. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that idea of taking a test and the teacher, how the response often during a test is, you get nothing. You can't ask questions. They're not going to give you any hints, no, no solutions, no problem solving. When we go through tests, oftentimes our tests are designed to prove what we know, what we believe, what we understand, or what we don't believe or understand. This series that we've been in called Atheist is really designed to help us as Christ followers to make sure that we aren't being atheists while we call ourselves Christians. To make sure that we aren't uh, referring to ourselves in some kind of a religious overtone, that we are somehow religious or spiritual or Christian, and yet don't believe in the God of the Bible. The God who has revealed himself in Scripture and through his Son, Jesus Christ, that is how we really determine whether or not we are true followers of Jesus Christ and of God who sent his son. So this morning what I want to do in answering this question or at least giving you some some ways to turn your trials, your mess as it were into a message, your test into a testimony is I want to help you answer the question. When life is hard, when life seems unfair, is God still good. In my role as a counselor, I often come alongside of people or that people that are in the worst times of their lives. Tests that they are presently enduring that seem unconscionable, something that would never happen to any of us. I met with a couple this week. They drove two and a half hours because their marriage is in crisis and their pastor said that true relationships was the place they needed to go. I met with them for three hours. I had only intended to meet with them for one. But when they got to my office, I discovered that their marriage and their lives were in utter chaos. At first, it seemed like it was a more typical 
negative scenario, bad things had happened, but they seemed to have weathered those things. They told me story about how his job had taken him all over the world, and he and his family had been in places like England and China and Serbia. And how there were times that he would be gone for days on end, but somehow they weathered all of it. Then right before they were going to Serbia, his, his family and, and things had already been shipped over there. He was waiting to get his, his orders, and he was ready to go, and he discovered that he had cancer in his neck. They had a doctor friend who said, don't go to Serbia, I can, I can help you with this. So his family is there. His stuff is there. He's left here to go to Houston, Texas for a doctor to take out the cancer in his neck and to do eight weeks of radiation. I mean, that's, that's a pretty bummer situation. I felt, I felt sorry for him. A lot of times I find that I, I have emotion. And I, I've discovered that as a counselor, I have two choices. I can either emote with my clients or I can get hard-hearted and just not feel anything anymore because it's just too difficult. And sometimes... Just thinking about some of the things that I deal with, I get emotional. So I hope that doesn't offend anybody because I am an emotional person. I'm not afraid to feel things. I found that if I do, I can relate to people better. And so I, I cried with this couple yesterday when I heard all the stuff that they had gone through and all the weather that they had endured. Not only did he have the cancer the one time, not only did he have the surgery the one time, but it came back again, and just a little over a year ago, had that second surgery on his throat. But somehow in the midst of all of the stuff, one of the times where he was working at a distance, he would leave on Monday morning and come back on Friday night. Somehow during that, his wife had become friends with someone she knew in high school again, and he had been a single man, divorced for 20 years, had been a single man for 20 years, and he didn't have anything done in his house, and so she was just using her gifts, her skills as a housemaker, and she made drapes for him, and in the process, she gave her heart to this other person. That makes me cry, you know. She was just trying to help somebody else but didn't realize the vulnerable place that she was in and the pain that she had experienced and endured and she had stuffed it and didn't talk about it and didn't deal with it and didn't tell her husband about it and now here they are for the last year. Every other day or so she sees or talks to this person and she believes that it's just a friendship. It's not. Because she'd given a part of her heart to this person that she was rejecting from giving to her husband. And I said, ma'am, you're having an affair. She said, no, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. You're emotionally connected to that person because I asked you to give your heart to your husband just to open your heart to him again, and you said you couldn't do it right now. The reason is because you've given your heart to someone else. For a whole year, no one has said that to them. You know, that, that, that's the kind of stuff that I deal with pretty much every day. The kind of situations that we get ourselves in, whether it be because of what we believe or don't believe or understand or don't understand, the bottom line is that we are all in a very difficult place to live. It's called planet Earth. 
And there are pains, and there are troubles, and there are trials, and many times we don't know how to deal with them. I think the person that I've related to the most over the years is one of my favorite movie characters, George Bailey. George Bailey in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey is kind of like a type of every man, every person. You know, he just somehow we all can relate to George Bailey. The guy that's a, a good guy but wants to do something big and great and seems to get stuck in this reality, this town. I was, I was so glad I could, when I left Dayton, Ohio when I was 21 years old. <laughs> I, I lived in California for 20 plus years and I always used to say that Dayton was a good place to be from. <laughs> and 2006, we ended up moving back here and I can't say that anymore. You know, I, I didn't want to be stuck in Dayton, Ohio. George Bailey didn't want to get stuck in his little town. He wanted to do something with his life and yet he found himself working in a building alone competing with Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter, that inimitable human being that just seems to be the, the embodiment of evil. You know, I never thought about it before, but George Bailey had rough things happen to him. He, he, he lost his hearing when he saved his little brother in a frozen pond. His, that's, that brother ended up going overseas and flying in the war and, and, and killing Nazis and being a hero. And he was stuck in his little town. You know, I never thought about it before, but Mr. Potter, this evil man, he also had a choice at some point in his life. I never thought about it before, but Mr. Potter's in a wheelchair. I would imagine that that, whatever it was that put him in a wheelchair, he had a choice just like all of us, just like George Bailey, to either be better or bitter. George Bailey had a choice. Mr. Potter had a choice. I have a choice and you have a choice. What am I going to do with my trials? What am I going to do with my troubles? What am I going to do with my mess or my test? What am I going to do? Perhaps this topic, more than, than any other, reveals our true view about God. It seems that it's when life is hard that we make the decision about whether or not we believe in God or like God or choose God or reject God. So the big question, the big idea today is when life is hard and unfair, is God still good? In 1996, my son Josh and I led a team on a missions trip to Iquitos, Peru. We went there to build a school. It was a cool project. My son and I bonded in some pretty spectacular ways, and it was an incredible event. But what you can't tell by the picture is that where these people lived, where this church is being built, this school is being built, is on the banks of the Amazon River. They lived in squalor. Their houses were on stilts because half the year the tide would come in, Amazon River would rise several 10, 12 feet. And what we don't, what we don't see here is that they have no sewage. 
they do not pay for the property that they live on because the property is basically unlivable because of the tides that come in half the year and completely flood the area that they live. What we don't know, what we don't see here in this picture is that they have no toilets. They have no sewage. They have holes in the ground and they have little curtains that may go around. Some didn't even do that. And that six months of disease and excrement sit in the ground until the water, the rains, the tide wash it away. That's where they live. What amazed me was how happy some of those people were. Not everybody. Understandably that it would be a very difficult life. And yet I watched them worship God. I watched them go to school and learn. I watched them be happy and responsive and grateful. And it made me question my own heart. How picky, how demanding, how selfish we can all be sometimes. But that's only part of the story because when I was there, I had the opportunity to baptize people in the Amazon River. There was a tribe from north on the Amazon that, found, that heard that there was an American preacher that was in the, the area and had sent word through the missionaries that they wanted this American pastor to come and baptize the new believers. Well, I was that American pastor. And I had the privilege of getting on a boat and going up stream to this remote village and baptizing a dozen new believers in the waters, the squalid, disease-ridden waters of the Amazon River. Well, I think a lot of times we preachers on trips like that consider ourselves invincible, and I considered no possibility of getting sick. But while I was baptizing people in the Amazon River, uh, thankfully it was the final day of our trip, something bit me. They told me, they told me then that it was probably a, a baby piranha. There were piranhas that lived in that water. Hello, didn't you tell me that before I went in there? No, they didn't tell me that before I baptized, but I was doing the work of God, so who's to fear, you know? Uh, but anyway, uh, because of that happening... I, 24 hours later, found myself in Miami, Florida, thankfully back in the United States, sick as a dog, bleeding internally. A virus had gotten into my bloodstream from that bite that was eating away at the walls of my intestines. They called the CDC. The antibiotics they were giving me were not working. They called the CDC and found out the right antibiotic for the particular area of the world that I was in. And within 24 hours of giving me that antibiotic, the disease, the virus, was gone. However, I have to fast forward three years. From 1996, three years forward, I was doing life insurance. The life insurance company asked me to do blood work, and I, without hesitation, did so. On the return of that blood work, they told me that I had the hepatitis C virus in my blood. 
and that I should get it checked out. Good idea. So I did, and I discovered that the viral count in my bloodstream was of the tens of millions. The hepatitis C virus had invaded my body while I was on a missions trip, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Go figure. All kinds of thoughts went through my mind. It didn't seem fair. I didn't understand why God would allow something like that to happen. The treatment that they asked me to go on because they believed, as I did, that it was a new infection, the treatment that we had available to us back then in the year 2000 was... uh, 1999 was was not a pretty picture. It was a chemotherapy cocktail that knocked the feet, my feet, right out from under me. I was sick. My marriage was falling apart. I didn't know at the time how severely. And I was trying to pastor a church that 10 years earlier I had started from scratch. I felt like George Bailey. <laughs> so that's what I get for praying. You know, that's, that's not a fun feeling, is it? As it turned out, the treatment that I took that knocked the wind out of my sails that caused me to be much less desirable to be around, that caused my wife to have no hope that I could ever be the husband that she needed me to be was ineffective, didn't work. The virus was still in my body. What did all this mean? What was God doing? Or better yet, why wasn't he doing something about this? Did my circumstances reveal something to me about God? Was I to consider what it was that God was doing or why he was doing it? Did it tell me something? More more importantly... How were my circumstances affecting how I viewed God? Like Mr. Potter and George Bailey, or better yet, biblical characters like Job, I had a choice to make. How was I going to see my circumstances? Or better yet, how was I going to see God through my circumstances? I learned a valuable lesson in 1999 that I'd like to share with you. The first lesson I want to share with you is this. Don't interpret God through your circumstances. Because see, interpreting God through your circumstances is what atheists and agnostics do. They see evil or pain or the depravity of the human condition, and then they question God's existence. How could this be if God were? Or they interpret those realities as God being uncaring or uninvolved. Whether your circumstances lead you to believe there is no God, or to believe that God is not good, neither of those 
are the right way to respond to our circumstances. All of us have circumstances that we're in. Some of you today are in circumstances that are devastating. I don't know that, but the size of this group and what I know about life and what I do every day, I know that there are people in this room that are suffering. You're jaded, you're hurt, you're disillusioned, you're frustrated, you're confused, you're angry, your marriage is falling apart, your child died prematurely, your parents passed away. I mean, the list goes on and on. The circumstances, the failures, the pain, the problems. What do we do (laughs) with those things? Well, Joshua, the son of Nun, in the Old Testament, was the, was the, the, uh, Moses was his mentor. And God was setting Joshua up to lead God's people into the promised land. Moses was not allowed to do that. He had taken them out of Egypt, but was not allowed to take them into the promised land. Joshua was the one chosen by God to do so. And here Joshua is at this valley of decision, if you will. Ahead of them is what they know is going to be circumstances beyond their belief. They are going to be at war with people that do not want them to take what is theirs, given to them by God. Moses passed the baton to Joshua and was about to lead people into the promised land. To those that didn't like their circumstances, to those that were in that group that didn't like the idea of going to war to be able to take what was given to them, Joshua had a word for them. And we find it in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. So Joshua is speaking to the entire nation of Israel. And he proclaims these things. He, see, they had a choice. You know, I, I, I struggle sometimes with saying to people, well, you, you have a choice to make. I know that there are times that people are in such circumstances and a lot of times when I'm dealing with couples and there's been an affair or something that is addictive in nature, uh, you know, for me to just say, well, you just have to make a choice or for the spouse to say, you just have to make a choice is, is much more difficult than most of us can even comprehend. And yet when it comes right down to it, most of the time life is presenting us choices. What are we going to believe What are we going to do? How are we going to act? What are we going to say? And Joshua understood that, and he says to the people this, if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors who who you served beyond the Euphrates back when they were in Egypt? If, If that's what you want, okay. He goes on, or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But Joshua makes a statement that I want us all to make today. And that would be this. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose today, Joshua says. Choose today whom you will serve. You know, there's someone else besides Joshua who had circumstances and the children of Israel that, made, that had to make a choice. Job 
the epitome of the guy that's having a bad day is in some pretty horrific circumstances. Not only did he not like his circumstances, but neither did his wife. And his wife told her husband Job, curse God and die. There's nothing better to do here. Just get over with all of it. Be done with it. But Job proclaimed, no. And he said these words, even if God kills me, I choose to trust him. Now, circumstances can't make you make that choice. Only knowing the God of the Bible, only knowing God for who he revealed himself to be in his word and through his son, that is the only way you can make a choice like that. The only way you can avoid or put your circumstances into perspective is if you know the God who allowed your circumstances to be a test to prove what you know or what you don't know or what you believe or who you don't believe in. So remember, lesson number one, don't let your circumstances interpret who God is. Lesson number two, Allow your test to reveal the teacher. I don't like tests. I never liked them in school. I never felt like I did very good at tests. See, even the way I said that proved I didn't do very good in English. Didn't do very well, I should say. I always seemed to get to the middle of the exam, and I I always had a question for the teacher. And it never failed. I'd go up to the teacher and I'd ask the question and they wouldn't even look at me. They didn't respond. They didn't give me the answer I was looking for. They didn't even have any mercy on me whatsoever. In fact, most often what would be said was, return to your seat and finish your test. (laughs) You see, because the teacher knows that the test is intended to prove what we know. To discover what we've learned. To identify what we understand. You know what? That's what God gives us tests for. And it seems to never fail that we're in the middle of the test and that's when we run to God and then we don't understand why God doesn't talk to us then. Everything was good. Everything was easy. Everything was fine. Oh, thank you, God. I worship you. Now it's bad and you want to run to God. You didn't pay any attention to him when it was good. You didn't need him then, but now the test is there and you want God to talk to you, and he doesn't. Boy, that seems unfair. That doesn't sound or feel very loving. But you see, there's something that the teacher knows about a test. And that is that that the test is to reveal what you know. Although our unfair, messy circumstances don't define God, they can reveal Him. And this happens through the confrontation of what we know or don't know about Him. I mean, really, isn't that the purpose of a test anyway? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 with me. It says, No testing 
has overtaken you that is not common to everyone. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Tests. Tests are intended to reveal the teacher. When we, not not in the test, but following the test is when we discover who he really is. In the middle of the test, we find that he's not giving us any answers and he's not revealing himself in it, only through it, only after it. Then we realize, oh, that's why God let that happen. I don't know why God, even if he did allow me to receive a virus that would have tried to destroy my liver, ultimately taking my life. I don't know why someone that was seemingly living a vibrant, healthy life would suddenly find out that they were going to die. C.S. Lewis was one of those great authors, philosophers, thinkers who came to know Christ in a powerful way and wrote about it in ways that most people don't know how to relate or don't know how to communicate the way he did. He wrote a book called The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. The book I'd like to refer to here for a moment is a, is a book called A Grief Observed. You see, C.S. Lewis married late in life. I, I believe he was in his late 40s, maybe even early 50s. I don't recall exactly. But he married late in life. And the woman that he ended up marrying ended up being a very sickly woman. And he was only married to her for a couple of years and ended up having to watch her waste away and die. He never married again. But in his inimitable way, he took his experience, his circumstance, and he used it to learn, to discover, to understand. And so he wrote a book called A Grief Observed, in which he reflects on the questions, the struggles, the painfulness of watching someone you love wither away and try to see God or understand God or believe that God could use it in some good way. So I'll just pick up at a point where he's answering some questions in his book, A Grief Observed, and he says this, what can this mean? Why is he so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? He reminded me that the same thing seems to happen, seems to have happened to Christ. Why hast thou forsaken me, Jesus said in the garden? I know. Does that make it easier to understand? Not that I am, I think, in much danger of ceasing to believe in God. The real danger is of coming to believe such dreadful things about him. The conclusion I dread is not so there's no God after all. But, so this, this is what God's really like? (laughs) Deceive yourself no longer, he says. 
That's what this series is about. That's why Pastor Gill and this team put together a series to challenge your thinking. Deceive yourselves no longer. Because who God really is, is who God really is. And if you don't believe in the God as he has revealed himself in his word and his son, then you don't know God. And you can call yourself a Christian, but that doesn't mean that you believe in God. And that's why we've challenged you with such a title as atheists, Christians who don't believe in God. I don't want to be that. I don't want you to be that. And I think one of the ways that we can make good on all of this is found in my third lesson for this morning. And my final point is this. Turn your mess into a message. Transform your test into a testimony to who God really is. Not who you thought he was. Not who you hoped he was. Not what you were told he was, but who you found out he was. Because you learned about him and about yourself. Linda and I met when I was 16 years old. It was 1973. She lived three and a half hours away from me. We met at church camp. And our only form of communication for the first year before I got my license to drive was primarily a letter, a couple of letters, and a couple of phone calls. But on that very first letter that Linda wrote to me and that I returned a letter to her, every letter since then that we wrote each other had at the bottom of that letter a verse. And that verse was Romans 8.28. And here's what it says. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Hmm. Really? Is that true? Have you found that to be so? Have you found that to be true for you? Well, I have. Has it been perfect? No. Have I had circumstances that made me question? Yes. But I ha- have I found that God has made everything work out for good? I have. My life isn't over, and I expect to have more trials, and I expect to learn more lessons. But now that I'm 57 years old, I have come to a place where I can say, and I know. (laughs) It always used to throw me, the beginning of that verse. And we know. Really, do we? Uh, I'm glad, though, that I can say now, and I know, that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. But before I end, I've got to take you back to 1999. Remember, I still have hep C. The treatment didn't work. Linda and I are both exhausted. 
Linda was more depressed and unhappy than I realized. She was done in ways that I had not really understood and had decided that leaving me and our marriage was her best option. Now we're in a real mess. What good could possibly come out of this debacle? I couldn't trust myself or Linda or our church or our friends, but I knew that I knew that I knew that I could trust God. One way or another, I believed that God would make good out of this mess. It didn't happen right away. We did lose our church. We lost our home. I lost my car. But we gained the marriage that we had always hoped for. Shortly after that, God birthed True Relationships Ministry, and that to date has influenced thousands of marriages and saved hundreds. The relationship with the church has been restored, and now they support our ministry every month. A donor bought us a car, and I still drive it to this day, 10 years later. We have a house again, right down the street. And I'm happy to tell you that as a result of a new treatment program, I am cured. So this is the really cool, yeah. In April, I began a new three-month treatment program for the eradication of the hep C virus in my body. The results of that treatment are that I have been given a clean bill of health and I have been professionally stated and given to my insurance companies that I am virus-free. I have received a viral cure because of the medicine that is newly on the market that I was honored and privileged to be able to be a part of at the beginning. So what is my message? What's, what's the life lesson here for you and for all of us? I think it's simple. Life is hard, but God is good. Turn your mess into a message. Is your marriage on the rocks? Is it a mess? Okay. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. <laughs> Turn it into a message. Going through a test? Not sure what God is doing or why he's doing it? It's okay. Let it become a testimony. God is good all the time. Yes, even when times are hard. Why, why, or how can I say that God is good even when things aren't good? Because my circumstances don't interpret God. God is who he said he is, and he said he will be with me. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. I am with you till the ends of the earth. Ladies and gentlemen, we have nothing to be afraid of. Whether life, nor death, nor principalities, or powers, sickness, or health, whatever it is, nothing, the Bible says, can separate us from the love of God. That's the truth. That's the truth about God. He loves you. 
and anything and everything that happens, though it may be difficult, though it may be a test, it is meant to reveal to you the God of Scripture. The God who said, I will give my one and only Son that whosoever would believe on Him, they will not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. (laughs) Wow! That's the God of the Bible. Don't let your circumstances interpret God for you, please. This has been True Talks with Pastor Tim Buttrey. If you'd like more information about True Relationships, just visit us on the web at truerelationships.org or on Twitter at Tim Buttrey or on Facebook at True Plus True.